A few weeks ago, we reran a program with Spokane's Poet Laureate, Chris Cook. We had such a great time listening to it again, we thought it would be good to catch up with him and talk to him about his In the Neighborhood poetry program through Spokane Arts. Here is our conversation. Listening to KYRS, 80, Medical X Spokane at 88.1 and 92.3 FM. And this is Art Hour, and I'm one of your hosts, Mike Malsom. I'm your other host, Eric Woodard. So, Eric, our guest today is one of our first guests that we had maybe close to two years ago, I think. I when think we got first, our third show. Third show. Uh, we have Chris Cook, current poet laureate here in Spokane. And I believe he's at his midterm, You're finishing year one of a two-year stint. So it'll be interesting to hear how his first year went and what he wants to do a second year. Well, since he's in his midterm, let's hope he doesn't lose any poets in the House or the Senate. That's right. Right. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and uh, don't forget, we are here at Bottle Bay Brewing. Exactly. Up here on 30th Avenue. So thank you to the Bottle Bay for allowing us to use their facility, outdoor, socially distanced interview here with great heater though outdoor yeah. heater so that really helps yeah so, it's a anyway. cool spot so welcome chris thank yeah. you very much eric and mike good to be back yeah yeah and i know you've been busy so i appreciate you taking your time out for us absolutely yeah it's part of the job uh, description here so and uh, it's nice when there's beer involved yeah for sure so it's a part of the job description spokane poet laureate um one of the questions that i thought i'd get to later but i thought i'll just start now since we mentioned that um so you were selected about six months ago. About a year ago. About a year ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, it's a almost two year. a year and a half. Two year term. Yeah, I was appointed in uh, I think late October. Okay. And what has been the biggest mm-hmm. surprise about being Spokane's poet laureate? Hmm. Um. Just maybe how many people from different walks of life, different ages and things, um, are into poetry because I was um, very much part of the uh, performance poetry scene and uh, slam poetry and so forth, but I've gotten to meet um, so many students and so many writing groups and you name it. Um, and And some of these groups have been around since the, there's one group that's been around since the 1930s. Oh. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Meeting weekly. <laughs> it's, wow. It's incredible. So there's tremendous support for poetry um, in, in this town, and maybe I just wasn't aware of the, the depth of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so did they, I mean, and you've been involved in the poetry scene in town for... About 20 years now. 20 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when we say involved in the Spokane poetry scene, I mean, you do, you have two open mic poetry yes events. i co-host broken mike for for Nito burrito and baby bar that's every wednesday at 6 30 and i host uh by myself auntie's three minute mic which is their first friday poetry open mic at seven o'clock and those are both zoom events at the moment yeah that's what i was just going to ask i mean that's put a grip in your style but we were talking before the show that you said that um it's been kind of cool because you've been it's it's actually presented opportunities it has it has not limited us because um you know some of our poets who were students went back home to various places around the country and yet they can still uh connect with us on wednesdays or first fridays um and that's not uncommon at all we've had poets chiming in from denver and um and from florida texas uh, minnesota and uh everybody's unmasked because they're in the (laughs) privacy of their own home so it's nice to see their smiling faces um yeah so it does afford us that well and you mentioned unmasked i mean i'm kind of just uh bringing in stuff that we talked about before the show but you mentioned that so okay so we were talking about the the open mic stuff has been interesting because you get to do stuff on zoom and then we've talked about you teaching which we'll get to a little bit later but even then um it's it's been interesting for you that you said there's been some positives about actually teaching music with masks and zoom and all that stuff what tell me about that 
Well, um, the positive aspect of Zoom is that my trumpet students, uh, their embouchures get to be seen by me. Embouchures, I, tell uh, me what that is. A French word for your mouth formation when you're playing. And I don't like to get too geeky about that, but if something is terribly wrong and it traces back to that and you're wearing a mask, I can't very well diagnose it. Um, however, there is a blessing of being able to teach live and in person, which I have also been able to do in a very large recital hall at opposite ends of it. And uh, we are masked and there are special masks made with a Velcro opening for your trumpet mouthpiece and little filters that fit over the trumpet bell so that we stay safe and we stay distant. Um, but at least that way um, they can perform live and there's a little bit of additional pressure maybe that way because they're actually on the, on the stage of a recital hall. And I do turn on the lighting so that there's no mistake about it. They, they're going to get that angsty feeling that they're about to perform. <laughs> yeah. They just can't see their audience, but yeah. they're there. And this is at GU, right? It is. And how long have you taught there? About 30 years. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes almost fresh out of school. Wow, that's yeah. cool. And so what do you teach there? I teach uh, trumpet, applied trumpet. Um, I also used to teach a section of music in the humanities, which was a kick. Um, but I kind of phased that out as my life got busier, especially with poetry. <laughs> and so I just take on the trumpet students now. Yeah, yeah. I'd be curious to know, uh, Chris, what aspect of virtual teaching, you know, whether or in, as well as with poetry, that you think you will keep, or do you think that the 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 genre will keep uh, beyond when the restrictions are loose. For example, would you have a, a poetry night that's actually streamed on a large screen, say at Nito Burrito or The Lucky You, where you have poets from all over the country? That's, that's the... Yeah, that's I wish the, I had that technical know-how. That's a great idea. And I'd, that's one of the aspects <laughs> and maybe the surprises that I didn't know about to speak to your earlier question, Eric, is how much support there is for this job that I thought was just going to be little old me. Spokane Arts is a godsend. And having Melissa and Micah um, just being able to make my wishes come true mm. is awfully nice. And so this virtual project um, in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a, uh, an open submission poetry project um, that we've just opened up the submissions to, and it closes uh, 12th of February, but um, it's a way that I can reach out to current and former residents of Spokane so that they can submit poetry about their neighborhoods. Ideally, if we get enough submissions, then we end up with Spokane in poetry mm -hmm. form. Mm -hmm. um, but that would not be happening without Spokane Arts. And um, later we might go old school and take a best of the submissions and turn it into a printed book. Uh, but for now, it's online yeah. and that's a blessing. It's really cool because it's limitless. We're not limited to any number of pages. I've set a limit for the length of each poem just for practical purpose, purposes, but we could admit thousands of poets. Um, and this is not just for accomplished poets. I mean, I've got um, third graders at, at, <laughs> at, uh, at Westview Elementary that are going to be participating. I hope to have some LC students mm -hmm. as well. Um, but it's, it's for everyone. And that's been part of my outreach is to, to get poetry to younger and older people, just to widen the gamut. Um, I'm hoping that uh, once the vaccine is widely available, I'll be able to start those programs in the retirement homes. Yeah, that's oh, that'd be great. Yeah. So, um, just on a very basic level, how does somebody submit? Where do they go to find this? SpokaneArts.org, and there's a portal there. All you have to do is click on the picture that you see of a poetry reading that's happening outside, um, and just follow the instructions. From there. And I just want to re-emphasize, you said this is not just for professional poets or people who've done it before. It's really about getting Spokane in poetry form. Absolutely. 
It's for all of us. And uh, I, frankly, I just got it when uh, my wife Kathy and I were walking around the neighborhood, which we do a lot. Um, and our dog, Ollie, is so grateful for that. But if you're like me, um, you know, COVID can make the, the walls seem like they're closing in if you're not taking care of yourself. So we get fresh air and exercise and keep the dog on our good side a mm -hmm. couple times a day. And so I have found so many things in Brown's Edition, uh, my neighborhood, um, that are worthy of poetry and more. And I'll bet that there are people in Spokane and other neighborhoods that might feel the same way. I hope you all are getting out there and might be able to uh, be willing to put some words to it. Um, I also started a photographic series on social media uh, called I Love My Neighborhood and it's up to around 113 photos all taken on different days just whatever occurs to me on these walks and it's pretty cool what you can run into last week there was a Russian motorcycle with a sidecar and Santa came out of Pac-Av pizza and put his beer down and smiled for <laughs> smiled for the picture because it was his motorcycle oh, and sidecar. That's awesome. And he gives free rides to the dogs of the neighborhood and supplies them with <laughs> glasses or goggles, <laughs> like little aviator goggles. It's awesome. Yeah, you so. know, I think uh, one of the, we've had a one artist for sure, but a, there's a couple really popular artists in Spokane, uh, Chris Bovey, who we interviewed. And there's Ben Joyce, but their art primarily is around place. I mean, you know, Chris Chris Bovey has a lot of the Spokane City uh, iconic places and landmarks, and um, Ben Joyce has made a really good living of doing these kind of abstract topophilia types of uh, artwork. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Chris Bovey. And um, just like Superman, Chris just yes, revealed his re garbage goat shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the big connection is there is a natural tendency or we're hardwired to be connected to our place. I think this poetry project is going to be a big success just for I that. I hope so. We've had a lot of submissions so far, and um, <laughs> that's not even accounting for people like me that wait till the last second to submit. So um, <laughs> we're waiting for you all the way till February 12th. Um, yeah, you know, I also wanted to mention that I, I've been here a long time. My family moved here in 1973, and I counted 12 places that we've lived in Spokane over the years. Um, and of those 12 places, that encompasses 10 different neighborhoods. And I could easily write poems about all 10 of them. So I bet there's others in my boat, too. And as you're talking about this, as you were talking, asking the question too, Mike, it made me think there has been such a, um, a groundswell of love for our hometown. And it feels like it's, it's a pretty new thing. And I'm kind of asking you this question too, Mike. I mean, when I was growing up, this place, I mean, no offense to anybody in particular, but this place was a ghost town. Mm -hmm. This was a place that you grew up in and hoped to get out of. And are you two seeing... I mean, maybe, I guess the question I have is maybe I'm misremembering it, but it feels like in the last five to ten years, I mean, if you would have tried to do this ten years ago, this poetry program, people would have said, what's to write about? You know, but that's kind of what they would have said. Do you feel yeah, that way too? Yeah, Spokane doesn't suck. <laughs> um, well, yeah, it might be Spokane's not too bad might be our next one. <laughs> I think that we're getting protective of what we have, and we're start, starting to see it in a new light because as California migrates north, mm -hmm and Seattle migrates east, we're kind of digging in and hugging what we've got here and suddenly realizing that, oh, everybody else knows it. I guess we better know what we've got here, too. Yeah. In my case, I was part of a, a military family. My dad was a flight surgeon in the Navy during uh, Vietnam. And because of the nature of both the medical field and the military, we had to move every year mm. or two was a luxury. And so by the time I got here, I was finally able to say enough, mm -hmm. enough. And I love Spokane and I've always loved how it's grown up. We got here at a weird time because it was the year before Expo. And so we were building up for that and the entire world showed up here and it was a big deal. And there were fireworks every night that we could see from our, our window. Um, and so in the aftermath of that, we've seen that steady buildup. But yeah, when you were growing up a bit later, 
there was definitely that stereotype uh, for all kids. You get out of here. You know, you make your living elsewhere. Yeah. But I do think, too, I think COVID is... Uh, has revealed something that was always there, but it just pulled off a cover, you know, and people got to look at everything in a different way. And I, I see more people walking around our neighborhood that I would have have never seen until COVID hit, and they were kind of locked up. Mm-hmm. And even myself, I've walked around more of my neighborhood as opposed to other places. And it's funny, you just start noticing things. Yes, like. <laughs> I didn't know that was there or mm-hmm. this and that. And so I'm wondering if a lot of those stories will come out, things we took for granted. I mean, things I took for sure. granted. Well, and even for you, you you recently moved to Browns within the last 10 years, Yeah, right? that's my second go-round at oh, Browns, okay. though. So, yeah, Kathy and I have been here in, in Browns mm-hmm. four years, but 25 years ago I lived here um, right across from Coeur d'Alene Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are, you're probably, as Mike was talking about, recognizing things about the neighborhood you never recognized before. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and, and you know a lot of that was there before because the neighborhood's like uh, 140 years old yeah. or so, yeah. 1880s. So, um, yeah. But Can there's I also new things. movie too. for the second time. You know, the first time you see it, you know, uh, and yeah, I really kind of like that movie, but then I forgot about it. And yeah. 10 years later, you watch it again and... Holy cow, I appreciate this yeah. movie way more the yeah, second Br- time. <laughs> Browns is a really good movie. There's lots. Well, the Santa story alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is. Yeah. It's like some of my favorite musicians, you know. I can keep listening to Frank Zappa and keep hearing new things the 50th time through. Now, mm. I, actually, just on a side note, have you watched that documentary? I have not. Yet? I have okay. not. It's on my list. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it. It was available for rent, and I almost, I almost watched it. So I'll be curious mm. what you think. Okay, I'll report back to you. Hey. Now, before oh, yeah, you go. go. Well, I, I, before we was this still on in the neighborhood, Mike? No, well, I was good, well, kind of. Okay, well, I, now I, I forgot just what make, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure we get to a, uh, an in the neighborhood poem before yeah. we uh, before let's, we let's do get it. off of this yeah. topic. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, one of my uh, former neighborhoods was Vinegar Flats, um, maybe the second neighborhood when I first moved back from from college, Um, and it is a gem, and um, one of my friends, Dennis Held, is a poet down there, and he writes lots of Vinegar Flats poems, and I was asked to uh, write a tribute poem to him recently, and so here's the latest. This is called The Laureate of Vinegar Flats. He'll miss a lot of things many of them small and fleeting, things that his words have given a permanence. His poems about Vinegar Flats take me back to when I I lived there in the 80s in a farmhouse overlooking Hangman Creek. They don't call it that anymore. I remember a big rock in the middle where a great blue heron always fished, the water so strong and mesmerizing that some days the creek was fixed and the heron, the rock, and I were moving upstream. And Harlow Hotram, our unofficial neighborhood mascot, Steve Adams's glass studio, Wayne Uita's dad's auto shop, the Japanese farms, and Vinny's Victorian house on the corner where I learned to milk goats, where the band rehearsed, the chick singer teleporting lyrics across space and time, taking us to the banks of the Wabash far away, pleading for hard times to come again no more. Lyrics sung above a creek were just last week After a decades-long absence, I saw that the heron's fishing rock had eroded, was now smaller than before. The water and the music and Dennis's poetry flow out of Vinegar Flats, and nothing gets in their way. Hmm. Well, that's great. Now, I'm assuming that's a response to... Um, Dennis's piece that he published recently. What I'll Miss. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful and amazing essay. Um, you know, Dennis, uh, it is no uh, secret, is uh, fighting stage four melanoma. Mm-hmm. And um, this gorgeous essay, uh, What I'll Miss, is, is about what he's noticed. And there's a lot of small things like what we were talking about, yeah. our neighborhoods. Um, beautifully put. And so uh, that's a tribute to that essay and to and to dennis well and he's getting a nice little valedictory lap too because i mean he his his prognosis was so bad he wasn't supposed to be that here was a year right? ago yeah, yeah. i mean and as, as he's quick to point out there is no stage five right so <laughs> right. 
yeah, it's been, I think, a year and a half since the diagnosis. Yeah, and then uh, Sean Vestal wrote that piece. Yeah, and that so nice. It's nice to see him getting that appreciation. Have you yeah. talked to him since the kind of the hubbub about it has happened? Actually, I talked to Sean about it about an hour ago. Oh, <laughs> and what did he say about he it? He was um, about the, the piece and yeah, the response to yeah. it. It's pretty nice for a guy that writes so much about politics <laughs> to do something safe like poetry and a feel-good story like that yeah. well, and have you talked to Dennis since this I have I well? have not just kind of second person kind of thing so um, but yeah Sean and I uh, were talking about a musical project that my daughter and I are doing you're listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane 88.1 and 92.3 FM Art Hour receives support from South Perry Pizza, featuring rotating local artists and serving hand-tossed artisan pizza, beer, and wine at 1011 South Perry Street and online at southperrypizzaspokane.com. Hang out with me, Jukebox Jenny, on Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear America's very own music, The Blues. Let me help you shake the trouble out with a mix of funk, R&B, and blues from Delta to Chicago. You'll hear... Don't forget to shake your rump, too. I'm living for the weekend. It's a cocktail that will soothe the soul. Working Woman's Blues, Sunday nights, 6 to 8 p.m., right here on KYRS. You're invited to cruise Americana Avenue with me, Jim Tate, in your car or at the office, each Tuesday from 2 to 4 p.m. You'll hear the best and progressive American roots music in a multitude of styles. It's Americana Avenue on your radio station, KYRS. Art Hour relies on support from listeners like you. Just $3 a month helps keep KYRS going strong, and you can help by texting Give KYRS to 44321. That's all one word Give KYRS to 44321. Art Hour receives support from Saga, the Spokane Arts Grant Award. Information online at spokanearts.org. If you would like to listen to any of our old shows, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts by searching for Art Hour. See, just when you were talking about the the Japanese truck farms and all those little landmarks, already I was starting to see how somebody could make those connections. I think a lot of those... Uh, truck farmers, the kids went to Lewis and Clark, and so there, I was thinking about that as you were reading yeah. that poem. Yeah. And I, I went to Lewis and Clark, and when I said Wayne Ueda's dad's service station, <laughs> Wayne sat in the trumpet section of LC's big band with me. And so this goes all the way back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just curious to know, and, and before we segue out, if during this COVID time, and as being the poet laureate, and reading and listening to other poets if if you if there's been a great uh outpouring of poetry that has resonated with you regarding this time yes um and i've heard it every week with broken mic and every month with three minute mic the poetry open mics because um i'm not one of those poets but a lot of them are they they deal with this through words, and they use poetry as a, as a pressure valve and release it onto the page, and it's very painful to hear, and yet it's cathartic for most of them. Like I said, it's, it's not me, so I kind of shut down creatively, but for many poets, you're right, Mike, it has been 
the main topic, the elephant in the room yeah. for their creativity too. Yeah. But um, I've used poetry, maybe it's a luxury, but I've always used it to escape um, maybe teaching or performing musically. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's been a, a, basically a positive thing. I've written painful poetry, um, but there's so much pain right now. There's so much hurt. Um, that I didn't want to uh, sick COVID on my poetry. Yeah, yeah. Well, and having read your poetry in the past, it doesn't seem like that's ever been your style to work through uh, a hurt or an ache in your poetry. Yeah, um, basically, yes. I could could read you a few things um, (laughs) of great personal loss, but you're right, uh, if, if I have... A trademark it's positive funny animal poems or something yeah <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that yeah. have you ever watched sullivan's travels no. a great preston sturgis movie oh we'll talk about it later <laughs> oh <laughs> man that, that goes back i don't <laughs> want to yeah oh it's so good but basically it's about the um the value of just making somebody laugh or mm-hmm. of having this positivity but we'll, we'll talk about it later yeah. it's, a, it's a great movie i think yeah. you'll cool love it. yeah no my latest book has a very heartfelt poem called a death in the family um, about the loss of my stepfather, um, who I was really close to. And there's a couple of poems about him and dealing with the loss of him. Um, but you're right, it's not really my thing. Yeah, well, and, and mm-hmm. one of the things, uh, you know, we've, we've worked in storytelling together in the past, and one of the best notes I ever heard, I didn't make up this note, but it's it's kind of been one of my defining mantras of a lot of art lately, is... It's really hard to make good art while you're in the middle of it. You know, while you're in the middle of that pain, that's yes. the therapeutic aspect. Yes. But, I mean, it seems like you come out the other end and then look back and make the meaning out of it yes. afterwards. Yeah, there's no perspective when you're surrounded by it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, we could, we could treat COVID like losing a close family member every single day for nearly a year now. You know, and we're still in the middle of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those charts are scary, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Okay, now let's get back to the positivity. Okay. <laughs> uh, you had just spoken about, or apparently you had talked to Sean Vestal about this project you're doing with your daughter Kelsey, right? Yes. So first of all, tell us what your daughter Kelsey's doing and, and who she is, and then tell us about what you've been doing together. Yeah. Well, Kelsey <laughs> Cook is a comedian, uh, nationally known. She's appeared on the Tonight Show and Comedy Central, and uh, that's how she makes her living. She lives in Burbank. Although um, she has recently come back to Spokane temporarily because comedy, like music, is a stage four business, and <laughs> or, or phase four oh. business, I, I should say. Um, and so, um, yeah. So um, I've gotten to see a lot more of her. And um, back at the start of uh, of COVID, she approached me with this really cool idea. Um, which was, how'd you like to play the trumpet parts to some of my favorite tunes? Um, and it's something that she has uh, posted on her Instagram account, Kelsey Cook Comedy. And um, it's really taken off. We've posted three volumes of it. The first one had five songs, and the next two each had six. And we'll be set to record within the next week uh, for volume four. And each one has done better. I think there were 30,000 views within a few days Jeez. of the last one. Um, and people are starting to take notice. Um, and, you know, it's still a homemade thing and it's still a lot of fun. Um, and I think I enjoyed the last one so much that I actually posted on my Facebook, mm-hmm. which uh, gets seen by a lot of very serious musicians. And um, so uh, apparently they must get it too. But, you know, one of the amazing things is that, as you guys might know, comedy and sites that allow you to comment on comedy reveals some really nasty, crappy people. There's a lot of trolls and a lot of haters out there. And Kelsey has informed me, and I've been able to see it myself, Uh, The hundreds of comments about these videos are just thankful and positive and glowing and saying, 
you know, I wish I had that, had that relationship with my dad, or I wish I had that relationship oh, with my nice. daughter, yeah. and thank you, and this is what the internet is for, and this is really cool, and, or they're just cracking up because there's an old white guy playing a, playing, <laughs> playing a trumpet to Baby Got Back, you know, I like big butts, and I cannot lie, I mean, there's just, with just, with the leader hose and then the little hat, like you were at Playfair. <laughs> Yeah, but I think I think they get that I get it. Um, but there is um, a separation there. What is this guy doing playing that? Well, yeah. even on that song, I think there's only one note that you hit. In it's, that it's song. true. It's just a little staccato note because yeah. yeah. there's no trumpet on them. It's gotten so popular. We started with Kelsey's list, which all had trumpets on the original recordings, and then once she decided to open it up to requests, oh my God, everything came in. And so, starting with the second one, we just decided to record anything that I could find a melody line on or something that was playable on trumpet. And so she had me start uh, the second one with uh, the theme from The Office, which she loves, which is entirely, you know, it's, it's a rock band plus a synth keyboard. And I just took the... And played it on piccolo trumpet. And people loved it. So uh, we don't need trumpet parts anymore. <laughs> you know, people just want to hear their songs and see an old guy playing trumpet to it. So that's, that's what we do. So your daughter Kelsey is a comedian and actually can make a living doing that. Yeah, unfortunately, she has popular podcasts which uh, draw advertising revenue uh, and subscriptions, and so uh, she's able to uh, survive even though she's not on stage much. Yeah, she did some distanced. Uh, LA shows she's going to be at a Bozeman casino or um, no I think it's a, like an auditorium a performing arts center in Bozeman this coming weekend and they're going to be distanced and safe but it will be live hmm. Yeah. so the, the question was I mean to be a, a comedian and, and, and a good comedian I mean anybody that I think can even survive and make a living out of this has got to be that takes a lot that's a high level of craft to do that it is and and as a poet and a very good poet um takes looking at life in a in a much keener way i that's my belief on that were your parents or grandparents i mean does this come down a lineage or did this just happen both the music and the poetry yeah my grandpa on my mom's side uh, don grant was a poet and um yeah anytime we visited san mateo at least every year he'd take <laughs> me back to his his study and read me a new poem either his or a friend of his uh way before the internet this was like in the 70s and and 80s so he would have pen pals that were like amazing uh writers um william stafford poet laureate oh, of wow. oregon yeah. and then uh, the u.s um yeah and so these were like handwritten poems for the, from these people they weren't photocopying them or anything some of it was just scrawled out um so he made me think that poetry was a normal thing to to consume and to write, even though I didn't write for, for a long time after, I would read poetry. So I got started young with that. And music, I've always been around. Mostly my dad gets credit for that mm -hmm. um, around the house, having awesome vinyl all the time. Mostly classical, but some really great jazz. Mm -hmm. um, and his brother, um, my Uncle Dick, was uh, kind of my trumpet hero and maybe... He is uh, why I do what I do. Uh, but he was a professional trumpet player in Boston in the 60s and 70s in that first wave of early music performance. Um, some hippies decided to, you know, try and play early music, like medieval music, a lot of Renaissance music, early Baroque, on authentic instruments, early instruments, mm. and they would remanufacture them. Like my uncle made cornettos and Baroque trumpets um, and was pretty famous and recorded um, with New York Pro Musica. And I got to live for a summer with him and my aunt, and she was a cellist and viola da gamba player. Uh, that instrument's a precursor mm. to the cello. And I would just go to music festivals 
and we'd go out on the Esplanade and see the Boston Pops along the banks of the Charles. And this was, you know, the late 60s and early 70s, and there was some skunky smells coming from the next group. And I, I asked what it was, and my uncle, my uncle said, breathe deep and enjoy yourself. <laughs> Favorite uncle ever, right? Yeah. Favorite uncle. Awesome. He's in Costa Rica now. And um, a, a really amazing and stunning thing um, that I still can't get over is the fact that uh, when Kathy and I went down to Costa Rica to visit him, uh, he had saved all his instruments for me and he sent me back with them. And so I play his B flat and C trumpet every day. Oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah. yeah. He was my first private teacher. And so those are some of the first instruments I ever heard live. Now, my next yeah. question is, I know Grant has, uh, your son has continue the legacy right? yes yeah. he's the musicologist uh now he will be finishing up at wesleyan with his masters and he got his undergrad at dartmouth and was uh principal clarinet of the dartmouth symphony and the manager of the dartmouth symphony Jeez. which is no easy feat because he organized a trip to italy um where they performed with other conservatory students so we're really proud of him and he's a clarinetist, but with ethnomusicology, he's learning all kinds of different instruments, many of which I've never even heard of. So, wow. Oh, that's yeah, so, so cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, but back to Mike's original question, where did the comedy come from? The comedy? Uh, well, so I, I had a pretty vast collection of Cheech and Chong and Steve Martin <laughs> um, albums and ever since Kelsey started with comedy, I've gone back and I've got really odd, rare stuff. I always enjoyed impressionists and, and stuff. Um, but no, I get no credit, I don't think. I, I don't know what it, what it was in Kelsey who had started off as a math major at WSU to turn around and start producing live comedy shows at a downtown venue in Pullman uh, comedy six-pack, I think it was, um, and a six-pack uh, lineup of six comedians every weekend. And she never looked back. Did she complete her math major? <laughs> she went to communications <laughs> from there, yeah. and she did graduate. She does have a communications degree from the Edward R. Murrow <laughs> School of Communications. Um, yeah, it's just that she doesn't need the degree. I'd like to think that it, it helped her. Um, because there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with comedy with, besides just writing funny stuff. Yeah. You know, you're a one-person business, and it's a big business in her case. Yeah. Yeah. We had, uh, we had a couple comedians on early, too. Um, Deese and Philip. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, boy, what a... That, that to me, would be... <laughs> it's a grind. <laughs> a tough business. Yeah, it's, when she could afford to turn down some of the the gigs that were either too long of a drive or in the wrong part of town you know we kind of celebrated that i had some calls you know from you know uh, a comedy club owned um apartment room or something down in florida and i remember that the slider wouldn't lock and uh, you know she's alone <laughs> it's oh. dark and it, yeah. yeah, she wouldn't want me sharing this. No, probably, but, but, but <laughs> that's the, what dads do. The yeah. point is, she's yeah, yeah. You're such an embarrassment, dad. <laughs> the point is, she's she's well beyond that, and I'm I'm so proud of her. Yeah, for that. So you were your midterm in the midpoint of your uh, poet laureate here in Spokane. Uh, we have the the neighborhood poetry project, but do you have any other goals or anything else lined up to kind of finish up? into next November? Yeah, you know, I alluded to it earlier. One of the things, if we can get uh, past COVID or get inoculated against it, especially in the retirement homes, I'd love to start a reading series mm. yeah. in the retirement centers. Like yeah. I said, I really want to hit as wide a gamut of age ranges as possible. And I've gotten to the elementary schools, and now <laughs> I want I want to, uh, you know, share some of my friends uh with them, I don't want it to just, just be me, um, but I, I want to bring poetry out loud to the retirement communities. Um, 
one of the things about being poet laureate is you realize it's not about you. If you're smart, you realize it's about how you can accommodate the community. However, I've always had in the back of my mind <laughs> um, a selfish project, just because I think it would be really cool. Um, I would like to do a limerick exchange with the poet laureate of Limerick, Ireland, which is our sister city. <laughs> I want to write limericks and get them back from that poet laureate, swap them, publish them, uh, let the world know that we did this. I think it would just be cool. <laughs> that would I, be great. I, I like writing limericks. That's well how I got a start in poetry. A big Zoom thing, you know? Yeah. You've got a six pack of uh, Irish <laughs> limerick <laughs> poets, and you got a six pack of Spokane <laughs> limerick uh, poets, yeah. and off they go. Let the Guinness flow, <laughs> man. Yeah. Wow. Well, you, you kind of hit on uh, the question that I had is, you know, given what you know now, um, what advice would you give for the next Poet Laureate for Spokane? Uh, believe in yourself. Uh, you are worthy. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very humbling experience at first. You kind of don't know what to do. Uh, there is no um, really solid job description that fits each person. We kind of each create our own because we each have our own strengths. Took me a while to realize that because I thought I had to be all of the above, mm -hmm. uh, all things at all times, and I, I realized that I have certain strengths and I just need to to play on that, and um, you just also need to to know that you're worthy, um, that uh, they don't make mistakes, uh, and it's it's okay, and it's something that poets are not used to, which is acceptance. You know, uh, there's a lot of lonely writers out there. I mean, probably poets are the outliers within that circle sure, of writers. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so to get that much love and acceptance is really overwhelming. Um, and so it, it's, it's very gratifying, very humbling. I'm so grateful to, to Spokane Arts, but um, to the previous poet laureates and to the succeeding ones, um, congratulations, and you totally deserve it. And this has been a fairly new thing in Spokane, right? Are you the Absolutely. third? Absolutely. I am the third. Third yeah. poet laureate. That's right. We had Tom Carraway, Laura Reed, and Mark Anderson. Oh, so you're the fourth. I'm the fourth. I'm the fourth. We had yeah, three previous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, and this all comes from Spokane Arts again, right? It does. Yeah. Can yeah. yeah. we talk a little bit about, because you mentioned a couple of times Spokane Arts. Um, they're kind of a new organization within the last 10 years, maybe? 15 years? Yeah. And I'm, and maybe reorganized yeah. with a different name. Yeah. So I'm yeah, not they, sure. I know that Karen Mobley right. may right. have had With it, the city. Um, when it was part of a department for the yeah. city, and then it kind of broke off. Yeah. But, but, yeah. I mean, they oversee so much. And for them to just step in with my signature project here in the neighborhood and just kind of take care of my wishes, it's like, wow, you go, guys. They take care of the press releases. They look, make the press releases look a lot more professional than mine, <laughs> you know, with the little poetry open mics. Um, and so, yes, kudos to, uh, to Spokane Arts for that. I'm not sure how they got the ball rolling initially uh, with Tom Carraway and the first Poet Laureate. Um, but it was really great because I didn't know him. A lot of my friends didn't know him. And what a joy and what a gift to the community. And we got to introduce him to the community on the stage of uh, the Bing Crosby Theater when we hosted the individual World Poetry Slam here in mm. Spokane. And there were poets. It was standing room only, poets from all over the country. And we bring Tom Carraway out, and they go ape shit. <laughs> wow. Can I say that? I can bleep it out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they go ape. And yeah. And, yeah. and uh, he read an original poem, which was not a slam poem because that's not where Tom's from. Um, where Tom is from, I can read uh, about because he's a West Central guy and he yeah. writes about that, his neighborhood. And the place just went nuts and there was so much love on a national level for a brand new poet laureate here. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's well, a good, perfect yeah, segue. Yeah, that perfect sounds great. Segue. You bet. Now, is this the poem you're going to read with my class uh, it next is. week? Okay. It is. Great. Uh, in the wild? In the LC. Yeah, Last Wild. Last Wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Such a cool poem. Isn't I really it, though? liked it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Tom has been there a long time, as you'll hear from this poem. <laughs> Last Wild. The bunny hills are what the local kids always called it. There are no bunnies. The ghosts of the rail yard it once was remain. The 30-foot piling devil's chair once held the bridge across the river. Billy's house down the block, high and long, was the slaughterhouse, hogs and cattle brought in by boxcar. Over time, the lines shifted to the south bank, the bridge dismantled and the ties removed. What remained was earth and stone, rail spikes and oil barrels. For years, the kids of West Central rode bikes and caught snakes there, the Bunny Hills, 30 square blocks of detritus, gophers, and ragweed. Now, dozers and shovels scrape away the hills, push through new roads, a thin carpet of blacktop, and builders pitch their wooden tents where trains once sat, where kids ran free, the last wilderness in town. There is a plan to put in a park that was Last Wild by Tom Carraway from his chapbook, No Secrets to Sell. Oh, man. Isn't yeah, that great? It's such a devastating last line. Oh, gut, gut punch. Yeah. We'll put in a park so that we'll, we can recreate what there once was. Right. Yeah. A weak facsimile there. Uh. Yeah, no, that's great. And boy, as you mentioned those three poets, I mean, that's kind of a murderer's row of poets in this town, really. Tom I. Carraway and Dennis Held also, yeah. And so that first poem is a tribute to, to Dennis and the late, great Tom I. Davis, who was there 20 years ago when I started uh, and was looking for a place for my poetry. And I went to comedy clubs because um, I didn't fit in at serious poetry places and I ended up at Mootsies for Poetry Out Loud and wouldn't you know the dive bar was where I yeah. felt at home and where I met Tom I. Davis and where you know an old guy made me feel welcome kind of like being being poet <laughs> laureate you know you yeah. don't think you're worthy and then a guy who really knows says you should believe in yourself yeah so I guess in, in a, one of the questions I was going to ask, but I think you've pretty much answered it, is like, what what about this experience changed you? And I think you just kind of said it. It really changed your whole perspective about your self-validation? Sure. Yeah, I will never know as much about classic poetry or modern poetry probably as either Tom or Laura, who are both, you know, both teach poetry for a living. Um Tom's up at Whitworth and Laurie's, Laura's at SFCC. And um, so I just need to know my limitations. <laughs> Clint Eastwood, right? Man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> and so I, I need to just remember, yeah, that you change the job description when you come into it. And you play to your strengths, you know, teach what you know, share well, and, what you know. And mm -hmm. it seems like one of the things that, I mean, if, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like what you're starting to do is, I mean, you talked about that group that's been meeting every week since the 30s, and people don't know about each other. I mean, you've been doing Broken Mic, uh, you've been doing things at Need a Burrito and at Dante's. It seems like maybe what you're starting to do is bring these disparate parts of the town that have already existed together and realize that maybe there's a community there that we didn't realize there was before. Is yeah, and I won't take credit for it because Mark Anderson is the one that, that introduced me to Poetry Scribes of, of Spokane, you know, and self-publishers of Spokane, um, and, you know, gave me a list of some of the groups that he that he visited with. And he, um, he stretched his arm out to, to Coeur d'Alene, to find writing groups there as well. So I'm just trying to keep that ball in the air as I juggle all the others. Um, but I'm thankful for Mark for having uh, done that. And I've found other groups as well. But yeah, hopefully yeah. as the poetry um, scene grows and the Poet Laureate program gets older, we'll all get to know each other. Mm -hmm. You know, if, like, if my kids or um, we have students 
Eric's class and they hear poetry, I mean, and, and but they have never written it. I mean, what would you tell them to get started? I mean, how, how does somebody really get kind of started? Yeah, you'll in find some genre? prompts um, at SpokaneArts.org with the submission um, link there. And um, so, yeah, the, the limits are from three to 30 lines. And so if you just want to do a three-line haiku... 575, just count your syllables, that's fine. You might have noticed in that first poem that I read that there was a list of things in Vinegar Flats. You could write a list poem. Um, slam poets like to number them. I didn't dare. But, um, you know, start with mm -hmm. one. And maybe give us ten things that you treasure about your neighborhood. Um, it doesn't have to rhyme, but if you like that challenge, like I sometimes do, go for it. If you're a musician like I am and you want rhythm in there, you could use rhythm and rhyme if you want a challenge. Don't have to. But if the thing gallops or dances by itself, I love that. I love reading a poem the first time and getting on the same page as you, the writer. And sometimes rhythm can tell me a little something about that person or know that I've got a little in common with them. Um, but yeah... Poetry doesn't have all that many barriers anymore, so don't be shy. No. Hop on in. It's okay. You'll be loved. You know, you come to any of our, our poetry open mics, and if you're a new reader, uh, we shout in unison, please come back. Mm -hmm. And most mm -hmm. of you do. So, and that's a great segue um, as our time's running out. So, uh, Spokane Arts is where they find out about In the Neighborhood. Where do they find out about your two open mic nights? Yeah, so first Friday, that is um, uh, offered by Auntie's Bookstore. Uh, Three-minute mic, it's at 7 o'clock every first Friday. Go on Auntie's website or their Zoom page, and about an hour before showtime, uh, you will find the link. Um, the link, I think, is up about a day ahead of time every Wednesday at 6.30, for Broken Mike. So uh, Broken Mike Online, I think it's called. So look that up. And that's Broken on the Auntie's website as well? No, I'm sorry. Broken Mike Online has its own Facebook page. You won't find that um, as a website. And so two separate entities, two separate places where we hope to be able to return very soon. I was actually able to, to host uh, Three Minute Mike at Auntie's from Auntie's a couple of months back. That was really cool. Of course, we didn't have an audience, didn't have live readers, uh, but... <laughs> You were virtual, and I saw you, and that was cool. Yeah. Well, and also, you have two books that you've published. What would be the best way for somebody to see the poetry you've written? Ah, yes. Well, um, Antis and Atticus. Um, and uh, I think that Janelle up on, on Perry, is it Learning Tree Book? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, learning yeah, tree book. bookstore right up there yeah. in the Perry District. She just, she just got a couple and delivered them to Sharma wishing, Shields, I think. Wishing... Wishing tree? Wishing tree? Is that the name of the... Thank you. There's a tree involved. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, uh, Chris has it at, uh, at Atticus. And, of course, they always have both books at, uh, at Auntie's. And then if they want to see your uh, uh, work with Kelsey, they go to ah. her Instagram... Kelsey Cook Comedy. Um, yeah, that's, that's her Instagram page. And uh, so, yeah, look that up, and uh, I think you'll enjoy following us. Well, Chris, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for taking time out for us. I enjoyed your poetry, and I enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Good luck for the, the next half of your term. And and, and thank you, Spokane Arts, for, for sponsoring the Poet Laureate for Spokane. Uh, we've got four Spokane treasures, and Chris, you're the fourth one. So <laughs> thanks again. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Eric. It was great. <laughs>